the reality, uh, and this really is the most important part, the reality that we fear man because we do not fear God or that we don't adequately fear God as we ought to. So today uh, we're going to continue this class on overcoming the fear of man by studying the fear of God. Um, And at the outset I do want to say that uh, not only is a proper fear of God the only way to overcome the fear of man, but also I want to say that the fear of God is not merely the means to uh, freedom from the fear of man, but rather it is the end in itself. Uh, it is our goal. It is uh, the fear of man that keeps us from the true fear of God. So we want to deal with the fear of man that we might give God his proper place in our hearts, in our affections, in our lives. And as we make it our aim to fear and to please and serve him, the fear of man will become less and less of a factor in our lives. So um, looking at the outline on the handout you have, you can see that uh, we're going to ask a number of questions about the fear of God. We will uh, first define the fear of God and offer some considerations of what it means to fear God. And next we'll uh, ask why we should fear him. After considering why we should fear him, we'll look at some scriptures to see what it looks like to fear the Lord, what happens when we lose the fear of God, and we'll consider some ways that we can walk more consistently in the fear of the Lord. But uh, let's uh, start with the definition. Again, on your handouts, you see a short definition there, and it says that uh, the fear of God is reverent submission that leads to obedient trust and worship. Reverent submission that leads to obedient trust and worship. And that is a, uh, a pretty good short definition. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about this, though. Um, in his book, The Forgotten Fear, Al Martin talks about uh, two different aspects of fear in the scriptures. There is uh, fear of dread and terror, such as Egypt felt toward the Israelites. Um, As it says in uh, Psalm 105, verses 36 to 38, where it says, Egypt was glad when the Israelites departed, for the fear of them had fallen on the Egyptians. Or uh, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 9, and it says that they were greatly afraid. Or in Acts 5.11, when the news went out about how God had struck down Ananias and Sapphira because of their attempt to lie to the Holy Spirit, it says there that great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Okay, so this uh, is the fear of being gripped with terror or dread. 
But there's another kind of fear that the Bible talks about. Uh, it's actually the same word, but it's used in different ways uh, with a different meaning uh, in different contexts. And this is the fear of awe and respect, of veneration and honor. Such is due uh, to parents and to superiors. As Leviticus 19.3 says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So it is because of the dignity of their position uh, that children are to regard their parents with veneration, with honor, and with respect. In fact, we often see with young children that there's even a sense of awe of their parents. So these two common words, or common uses of the word fear, are both included in the biblical understanding of the fear of God. There's a legitimate sense in which the fear of God involves being afraid of God, being gripped with terror and dread. Now this isn't the dominant thought in the scripture, but it is a part of it, and it's especially true of those who are facing God's judgment. Uh, the second aspect of fear, that is the fear of veneration, honor, and awe with which we are to regard God, is uh, the fear that belongs uniquely to the people of God, the true children of God. It's a fear that leads us not to run from him, but to draw near to him through Jesus Christ. Not to cower and hide, but to humbly come before him with confession, uh, with petitions, gladly submitting to him in faith, love, and obedience. So when we see reference to the fear of God in the scripture, we need to give attention to the context and see whether it is the fear of dread and terror or the fear of reverential awe, veneration and honor, or perhaps both kinds together, which it appears that way in certain instances. Well, let's um, look then at the first question there. Who should fear God? Who should fear God? Um, this is, as I say, the first point there. I want to just consider a few verses about the fear of the Lord. Um, and I think most of what I'm going to reference you'll have in front of you. Not the full text of all of them, but uh, at least the references there. <clears throat> so in Psalm 33, 8... It reads, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Fearing the Lord is something that everyone should do. No one is exempt from the call and the command to, to fear the Lord. Let all the earth fear Him. Yet obviously not all do. Um, Psalm 36 and verse 1 says that the wicked refuse to fear him. It reads there, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Okay, so 
this is the disposition of the wicked deep in his heart um, no fear of God so everyone should fear God but the wicked don't and in fact nobody does as they ought to um, though ultimately we read in Romans 14 11 to 12 that every knee will bow before him it says there for it is written as I live says the Lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God so then each of us will give an account of himself to God everyone will fear God in one way or another at the final judgment particularly though God's covenant people are called again and again to fear the Lord. And we'll just look at one passage uh, at this point, and that is in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 2. And you might want to turn there. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2. It says, now this is the commandments, the statutes, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. <clears throat> that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. And we see here that the fear of God meant living lives of obedience to all that God commanded and teaching others and the next generation to do the same. Okay, so, um, and again, we see this call to the people of God to fear Him uh, continuously in, in the scriptures. But uh, let's, let's move on to point number two. Why should we fear God? Okay? Why should we fear God? Well, as image bearers of the one true God, we were designed to fear God. Our understanding and disposition toward Him really should reflect His own. We should see him as exalted above all, holy and worthy of all praise, not sharing his glory with any other, ruling all things by his wisdom and power. We should see him as righteous to judge all sin and all wrongdoing, yet also kind and merciful, faithful to his covenant, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. <clears throat> Genesis um, chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 speaks of our being made in God's image. It says there, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
Okay, so we were created in the image of God and given dominion over all creation. We were designed to live in perfect fellowship with Him and devotion towards Him. And as His creatures, we were created to reflect Him um, and His image in the world. And doing so, we would then have humility before Him and before others. Um, We would have a holy dignity and loving faithfulness as we would live with no shame towards one another and no fear of being exposed or rejected by others. In verse 31 of uh, Genesis 1, it says that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So he created man to be like him, to bear his image, but to live in reverent submission. And he created them that as his faithful image bearers, we would live in fear of him. Our proper place is in subjection to our beneficent king and in obedience to our loving father. Now, the second answer to the question, why should we fear God? First, it's what we were designed for. Secondly, it's because he is intrinsically and eminently worthy of our fear and obedience and worship. We see throughout Scripture that God alone is worthy of this wholehearted devotion, of this reverent submission. He alone can satisfy the soul's need to worship. All right, so um, let's uh, consider his worthiness then for a few moments by looking at a few passages which uh, you have in your notes there. In Psalm 2, Uh, verses 10 and 11 well actually you don't have the actual text here so why don't we why don't we look at these if I can get somebody to um, look at Psalm 2 10 and 11 can you get that will Sure. and if I can get somebody else to get Psalm 89 7 Jonathan and 90 11 you take that mark and then I'll take uh, Psalm 27.1. Okay, Will? Psalm 2.10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Okay. So the psalmist here warns the rulers of the earth, um, calls them to serve the Lord with fear, fear and to rejoice with trembling so um, fearing the Lord is at the heart of what it means to serve the Lord uh, Jonathan Psalm 89 okay thank you oh it just had seven in there um I'll read six. Uh, I had that in my notes. Um, It says, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones? Awesome above all who are around him. 
So he is incomparably greater than any other being in the heavens, and he is greatly feared among them. Um, Mark, Psalm 90. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Okay, very good. Um, so, our fear of God ought to be according to His great wrath and His powerful anger. So, the measure of that ought to um, be the measure of our fear to Him. He's worthy of that fear because of who he is. And then Psalm 27, 1 <clears throat> says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So considering the Lord and any other cause to, to fear or be afraid, um, the fear of the Lord diminishes and dissipates the fear of man. We needn't fear anyone or anything because it is God who saves us. So in a variety of ways, uh, all of Scripture um, proclaims the worthiness of the Lord to be feared and to be worshipped. Uh, so you see then in your notes... Fearing God is also for our good. To live in the fear of God is to live as we were designed. And so to receive the blessings that God has designed for us. Living for his glory and in fear of him brings us great good. Psalm 103 uh, starts with a threefold call to praise the Lord. And then David says and forget not all his benefits, all the good that he does for us, all the blessings that he gives to his people. He then spends the next eight verses enumerating and rehearsing those blessings before saying in verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So forget not all his benefits that come to those who fear him. This is how the Christian should think and pray. Scripture affirms it over and over that we should fear God because it's for our good to do so. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 13 is uh, one passage that makes this very clear. Um, turn it. Turn there, if you will. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. <clears throat> and here Moses says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Okay, so here Moses describes the fear of God in terms of wholehearted devotion, 
reverence, love, and obedience to Him, which is for our good. We fear Him for our good. Let's look at some other verses which uh, show the good that the fear of the Lord brings to us. And um, there's a long list there in front of you. We're just going to touch on four or five of them. Um, And we're going to run through these fairly quickly. Um, Psalm 111 and verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Okay, so fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 1.7 similarly says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord brings us wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Psalm 115.11 says, You who fear the Lord trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Okay, so God is the help and the shield of those who fear and trust in Him. And then in verse 13 of Psalm 115, it says, He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. So the blessings of God come to those who fear Him. And then just one more, uh, Psalm 118 and verse 4, Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. And really it is only those who fear Him who can say this, who can understand this, who can experience this. This goes back to what we were looking at in in Psalm 103. Um, speaking of the greatness of His love that is for those who fear Him. Um, <clears throat> now your handouts, uh, as I say, have many more verses that highlight some of the innumerable blessings that come to us uh, that are to be found in fearing God. So I just want to encourage you to um, take some time to, to look through those. Maybe during this week, um, take some time to meditate on those and, and consider the blessings that uh, are ours in the Lord as we properly fear Him. Um, now as we read these verses and others, we see that the fear of the Lord is essential to our happiness and our holiness. And these go together. Um, As we increase in holiness, we grow in blessedness uh, or in happiness in the Lord, in satisfaction and in complacency in God. These verses in Psalms and Proverbs particularly instruct us that the good life, the rational, reasonable life, is in a right fear of the Lord. Um, Well, let's uh, move on to point number three and talk next about why we don't fear God as we ought or what happens when we don't fear God. So why don't we fear God as we ought? Um, If we were created to fear Him, if he's worthy of reverent, devoted fear, if it's for our good to fear him, then why 
don't we? What's keeping us from truly fearing God? Well, of course, ultimately it goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. When in disobedience they took what God had forbidden, uh, then they lost what God had provided and what God had promised them. In this exchange of the truth of God for a lie, they lost the proper fear of God. They lost fellowship with God. And they lost the blessing of God. Uh, They lost true holiness and righteousness and knowledge. They were guilty before God and they feared Him now only in a sense of craven fear of punishment or of terror and of dread. It was their guilt in the face of his holy justice that produced this fear in them. But the effects went beyond this. Genesis 3 clearly tells us in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So we see in this action uh, shame and fear of exposure, Uh, Their desire to cover themselves outwardly reflected the inward reality of wanting to cover their shameful acts of rebellion against God. Guilt, shame, and fear now dominated them in their fallen state. And they've gone from the pinnacle of creation who were uniquely able to worship and experience communion with the triune God to being spiritually dead, cursed and cut off from God. They now deeply fear being exposed by God. Uh, They're ashamed in his presence. So creation, including man, initially was very good. But when man fell and rebelled against his creator, everything changed. After the fall, man became subject to the fear of other men. Adam and Eve had chosen to give up the righteous fear of the Lord, and thus they learned the fear of his wrath and of his judgment. And they learned the fear of man as well, fear of rejection and exposure, and even fear of physical harm at the hands of others. When we give up the proper fear of the Lord, we are left with the fear of others. It's not as though there's a middle option of not fearing the Lord and not fearing people. When we give up the proper fear of the Lord, we are seeking to elevate ourselves to be like God. And and that's a claim and a position that we can never justify. uh, And we can't justify it to ourselves, and we certainly can't justify it to others. Um, And man in his rebellion fears that exposure. Um, and seeks continuously to justify himself, even in his rebellion. So their alienation from God also resulted in their alienation from each other. Their former intimacy, Adam and Eve, uh, is now mixed with fear and shame of self-protection and blame and distrust. And all this because their own souls became completely disordered and corrupted having turned from the fear of the Lord. The tragedy of this really can't 
be overstated, is desperately tragic. Uh, Yet God, in his grace, promises redemption, and what he promises, he provides. So let's look then at uh, point number four, the fear of God regained. In Jesus Christ, God brings the redemption that we desperately need. In sin, we live lives that are doomed for destruction. Jesus Christ comes and lives the fully human life that is the truest humanity finds expression in him. He lives fully according to the true fear of God. And he does for us what we were created to do. Just as in Adam we all sin, so in Christ the second Adam, we are both clothed in his perfect righteousness and we're restored to the true fear of the Lord. If you will, turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Well, 1 to 3. This passage is a beautiful prophecy of the Messiah who would come out of the line of Jesse. And it says, Isaiah 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, Al Martin says um, about this, he says, Here is an explicit statement that the Spirit would come on the Messiah, as the Spirit did in fact come on him in conjunction with his baptism in the waters of Jordan. Isaiah says the Spirit would come on him not only as the Spirit of might and of power by which he raised the dead and unstopped deafened ears and loosened dumb tongues, but that he would rest on him as the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And that fact is the one aspect of the Spirit's ministry which is enlarged upon in verse 3 where it says his delight is in the fear of the Lord. So the prophet foretells that the dominant aspect of the Messiah's own character is that he would live and move and delight in the fear of the Lord. This fact, he says, should immediately purge, our mi- purge from our minds any notion that the fear of God is incompatible with an assured sense of God's favor. It was in the very context of empowering our Lord with the Spirit, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, that the Father audibly expressed His delight in Jesus as His beloved Son. So even as the Spirit descended upon Him, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, um, the Father was pronouncing His, his love for Him. Um, so this, this obviously is that filial 
love of, or filial fear of um, reverence and awe um, and not in any respect one that feared judgment or terror. So in speaking about the effect of Christ's work um, then on those who partake of the new covenant um, Martin goes on to identify specifically what Jeremiah says about the covenantal blessings of the restoration of the fear of the Lord to his people. So he says in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah speaks of the new covenant, a covenant that we know from the scriptures would be brought into effect by the sufferings and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the covenant sealed and ratified by the blood of Christ as expounded in Hebrews 8 and 10. Notice what God says will happen when the blessings of the new covenant are brought to men. Quote, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. And that's Jeremiah 32, um, verses 38 to 40. I don't know if I had those in there. <clears throat> so um, it's interesting uh, what, what is promised here by the prophet Jeremiah in the new covenant reflects very closely to what God had commanded in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 10 that we read just a minute ago. But here in the new covenant in Christ, God provides what he commands. As I said, he restores to us the fear of God, but this is only for those who receive all of the benefits of his work, who are regenerated by the Spirit and who are justified by faith alone. In Genesis 3, Moses uses the language of nakedness. Uh, just as we are naked as sinners before God, so in Christ we are clothed in righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.21, um, as his righteousness is imputed to us in justification. Through his death and resurrection, those who repent and believe begin fearing God in a way that we were originally designed to fear him. Well, let's uh, look at the next point, number five. What does the fear of God look like in action? Um, so we'll, we'll just talk briefly about this. And... Um, <clears throat> Scripture has much to say and many examples of the fear of God in action. Uh, we won't read all these here in front of you, but um, here's a quick overview, really, of what they say. <clears throat> what does it look like to fear the Lord? It looks like giving Him praise, listening to the truth, being quiet and teachable, having an undivided heart, following his precepts, hoping in his word, understanding his statutes, standing in awe of his law, 
walking in his ways, being humble, hating evil, and walking upright, to name a few. The fear that the Bible speaks of works itself out in the lives of his people. Um, We can think of various examples in the scriptures. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, we can see, for instance, with Noah, um, as he received the word of God and um, in fear of him, obeyed him, um, even in such an unheard of command that, that he was given to, to build the ark and no doubt faced a lot of opposition from those around him as he spent so much time and effort on that. Um, but nevertheless, he stayed steadfast, fearing God, trusting God, obeying God. Um, we see the fear of God uh, in the lives of Daniel and in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were facing the hostility of the king uh, and and being compelled to uh, to worship uh, to idolatrous worship, but they wouldn't do it. They stood firm in the fear of the Lord and obeyed Him, and uh, the Lord delivered them. <clears throat> there are many other examples we could give, but uh, I mean the Bible is full of them. Read well, read uh, Hebrews 11. Um, but we're going to move on now to uh, to point number six. Um, how do we begin to live in fear of God? <clears throat> and uh, yeah, this is our last point for the, for today. Uh, only a greater fear will displace a lesser fear, and we'll actually talk about this more in a, a later session. Um, this corresponds very much to what Kyle preached on last Sunday. Um, he talked about the expulsive power of a new affection, um, by which a greater affection um, subdues and presses out a lesser affection. And it's the same in this, in this case. I mean, the fear of God is, in one sense, an affection. It's a proper disposition toward God. Um, uh, and um, as we grow in our fear of God, as we said, lesser fears will will dissipate. We, we won't fear him who can only kill the body, but we'll fear him who can kill the body and soul in, in hell. And so we'll submit to him. So as we said earlier, our main concern should not be finding solutions, if you will, to our fear of man. We don't like having the fear of man. We're not just trying to find a way not to have the fear of man, and fear of God is one way to do that. But instead, uh, we ought to be seeking after a deeper fear of the Lord. That is an end in itself. Um, and fear of man is just an obstacle to that. So this should be our aim, our goal. In Ecclesiastes 12:13, this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man okay this perspective is critical 
if you leave this class feeling less fearful and less controlled by what others think, but you have no greater fear of God, then you've missed the point. Um, so how then do we walk in the fear of the Lord every day? Um, well, first, meditate on the gospel. The battle each day begins when we wake up and we must bring our hearts and our minds into faithful subjection and trust in the gospel. God has graciously acted through Christ to restore sinners to himself. The king has come and conquered. We are no longer subjects or subjects of the ruler of the kingdom of this world. In Christ, we're subjects of the good king, the righteous king, the reigning and returning king. Meditate on and believe the gospel, what Christ has accomplished and all of his benefits and covenantal blessings. So meditate on the gospel. Secondly, spend time studying the character of God. God is glorious and is worthy of worship and reverent fear. The knowledge of God is the greatest knowledge that we can possess. It says um, in Jeremiah, let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me. Um, this is what we should be pursuing. God is perfectly good in every way. His ways are high above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He is wise he is mighty. He is good. He can be trusted in all things. Do not listen to the lies of your flesh or of the enemy that diminish God or that accuse God or find fault with God. As we study the character of God, we'll be more and more conformed to his character as the spirit works in us, and we will rightly fear him as we ought. The scriptures reveal God as holy, as majestic, as sovereign, as omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, merciful, kind, faithful, loving, jealous, just, and wrathful, and many, many other attributes. This is the God who we serve, the God who we are to fear, and the more we bring ourselves to know him and understand him, the more the fear of God will increase in us and be reflected in our lives. Get to know what the Bible teaches about God and get to know him. Um, you have on your handouts a list of several books uh, that can provide a good place to start. Um, if you've read all those, ask me. I can recommend some others. Um, okay, then thirdly, how do we live in the fear of God? Repent of pride. Proverbs 3, 7 uh, says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Pride is really the exact opposite of fearing God. It is self-exalting and self-centered. It causes you to think about yourself and about what others think about you. And we're called to self-denial, to humility, 
called to serve others and to glorify God. Our pride goes deeper than we know and it keeps us from loving others and from fearing God. Repent of pride. Humble yourself before God. To fear God is to reverently submit to Him in such a way that leads to obedience and worship. It is to happily and joyfully obey Him. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. God alone is worthy and sufficient to satisfy your soul's deepest longings. He alone can receive the worship that you were created to give. So seek to grow in your knowledge of Him. Seek to grow in your fear of Him. I've got just a couple of other passages I want to read um, as we conclude. Psalm 25 uh, verses 12 to 14 says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant isn't that great the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him tremendous tremendous blessings um, I saw this week this quote by Michael Reeves which I really liked um, it says where hell is the dreadful sewer of all sinful fears Hell is the dreadful sewer of all sinful fears. Heaven is the paradise of unconfined, maximal, delighted, filial fear. Again, you're going to fear something. Um, fear the one who, who rewards that fear with good things, with grace, with abundance. <clears throat> and then uh, lastly, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, let's heed that admonition, that encouragement from Paul and pursue Pursue the God who is the fear of Isaac, um, that he be our fear as well. Are there any questions, any comments? Okay, let me go ahead and close in prayer. Oh, gracious God, we are amazed at you, at your goodness. Father, as we consider ourselves and our sinfulness, our weakness, our meanness, our insignificance. And that you care for us, that you take notice of us, that you have worked to save us from our, sil from our sins, to save us from ourselves, to save us from your own holy wrath. Father, how worthy you are of our worship. 
Father, pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would grow and deepen in our love for you, in our fear of you, that we would properly revere you and live our lives before you with a conscious awareness of your presence with us at all times, that we might walk in the light of your presence, that we might glorify you in all things and please you as we seek to walk the way that your Son has taught us and the way your Spirit enables us. Father, we uh, want to pray now as we prepare to go in to gather with the saints in worship that you be with us, that you empower our worship, that you encourage us, convict us, and change us by your word, and that you build us up and help us to build one another up in your word and in the most holy faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys.